All right, I'm going to uh, start us off. Um, let me just uh, give us the ground rules once again, please. Um, if, uh, put yourselves on mute unless you are talking or answering a question or want to make a comment because that'll keep out the background noise and we'll be able to hear uh, much better um, than, uh, you know, I was, I, I, background noise is a funny thing because it comes from all over. You know, I, I was trying to record a sermon, two sermons, and I said I had plotted a certain time for it. And I said, okay, this is it. And my neighbor next door decided uh, to have somebody come in and cut his tree down. And so we had all that, we had all that buzzing and everything. And I, I couldn't. So luckily, you know, I wasn't at the last minute. So I had to do it the next day. But then the following week, the exact same thing happened to the, and the guy across the street was cutting it down. I said, it's good. That I can't wait to the last minute because you never know what is going to happen. So background noise, that's what we're after. So just put yourself on mute. And again, when you want to comment or ask a question, please feel free to jump right on in. So good to see Mary Ellis and Nelson joining us as well. A couple of phone numbers I don't recognize, but welcome everybody. Uh, let me open up in a word of prayer for today. <clears throat> Our gracious Lord and eternal God, how we do praise you and give you great thanks, Lord, for the gift of another day. We thank you so much for your grace and for your tender mercies, for your love and for your provision, for the way that you provide for us. And with Lord, we praise you for your providence as well. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to join together here today, Lord, uh, in class. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would uh, help us, Lord, as we look into your word uh, to understand it and to apply it to our lives. Uh, help us to grow in our faith. We'll, we'll thank you for it all. And we pray this in Christ's wonderful name. Amen. All right. We are back in Job in chapter one. And uh, just as a quick recap, uh, uh, last week, for those of you who may not have been here, we uh, did a quick look at the uh, kind of at the book of Job um, from its kind of mysterious origins. Uh, we don't know. Uh, who the real author was or when it was written. Uh, we know it's probably probably the oldest book in the Bible. And um, we also talked a little bit about the impact uh, as literature that it had upon society. And uh, we looked at the first five, five verses, which gave us a snapshot uh, kind of, of Job, Job the character and his situations. So those of you who were there last week, tell me something uh, about the character of Job, what did you discover? He was blameless and upright. Blameless and upright. Very good, Sal. Thank you. <clears throat> what else? Anybody else? What else do we know? He feared God and shunned evil. Feared God, shunned evil. Very good. He had a big family. <laughs> Okay, yes. Yeah, he was just very well off. He was very well off. Yes, we left him. Uh, I'm sorry, Jasmine, say a little louder. He prayed daily for his children and, yeah. and gave sacrifice. Yes, yes, we saw that he was uh, fulfilling the priestly role in his family, um, which is also very ancient. It tells us it's very ancient. This is way before any of the priesthood, but he was... Uh, fulfilling the priestly role as uh, 
uh, husband and father praying for his children. And, and we left them and it was a very, very happy situation. All right. Um, the kids were out. They were having, celebrating uh, birthdays together and, and Joe, life was good. All right. And that's where we left them. And uh, so we pick it up. The story then in uh, verse 6 through uh, 22. All right. Let me just uh, read through that. <clears throat> One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered uh, the Lord uh, from roaming through the earth and going back and forth in it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But stretch out your hand and strike everything he has, and he will surely cur curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your hands, but on the man himself do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby and the Sabians attacked and carried them off. They put the servants yeah. to the sword and I am the only one who it's has to tell you. Huh? Excuse me? It says same school and Lot is food. So what do you want me to do? Okay. <clears throat> While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them and they are dead and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robes and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. May God be pleased with the reading of his word. I'll talk about having a bad day. All right, Job... Uh, we begin in verse uh, verse six. One day, one day. What's, what does that kind of imply? One day. Just jump right in. Just an average day. Just an average day, right? Uh, one one of many days. It could be one of many days. Uh, and what we have here is this gathering. The angels came to present themselves before the Lord. Uh, Psalm eighty nine. Five and seven reads, the heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too, in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with you, Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? 
In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. So we get this, uh, these ver this verse talking about the assembly and the council of holy ones. In uh, 1 Kings 22.19, Micaiah has a vision saying, uh, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the multitudes of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And even when we go into Revelation, we get the same picture of this assembly or a court. All right. And Revelations 5 is one example. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and, and the elders. So there's there, certainly there, there's this uh, appearance of this court or this heavenly assembly of a heavenly being meeting uh, in front of the Lord God Almighty. And from scripture, it sounds like it's uh, uh, on a regular basis. Um, as a matter of fact, if we skipped over to chapter two, verse one, it says on another day. Okay. And they are reassembled. So. Uh, this might be even be a, a daily uh, coming together. <clears throat> but uh, the thing that we need to remember as we look at these uh, verses that talk about this court and this assembly is that God is in control. God is sovereign. God is the one who is, uh, has the authority uh, Psalm 24:10. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord of Hosts. He is the King of Glory. So one day the angels came to present themselves. Now, many prominent theologians will tell you that angelology or the study of angels is one of the most difficult in Scripture, and that's because we're told about them, but we're not told much about them. And uh, it, what we are told of them raises just a lot of questions. Like, you know, God who's spoken to existence, everything, why did he need angels? <laughs> you know, if he, if he does whatever he pleases uh, by, by his word, uh, why does he need ministering spirits? Um, and, you know, of course, on and on, it it's becomes a very perplexing study. But it, it's in scripture, and um, uh, we are uh, accepted for, for what it says. Uh, and we have to be careful about the, letting ourselves uh, speculate too much where the scriptures are silent. Now, the uh, NIV translates this word, uh, uh, Ben Elohim, as angels. All right. However, as most of the other translations more correctly translated, it really says sons of God. One day the sons of God came to present themselves. Now, this is a this is a mysterious title. Uh, and it, uh, it has it gets applied to angels, but on occasion it gets applied to to mankind as well. And specifically, also, it gets applied to <clears throat> can be applied to anything that God has made, any person, any being that God has made. Um, 
If we read uh, over in Luke 20, it says, And Jesus said to them, The sons of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy to attain to that age and to the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. For they cannot die anymore because they are equal to angels and are sons of God, being sons of the resurrection. So in that sense, in that verse there, uh, he's equating believers, those who will attain to the resurrection, uh, as sons of God equal to angels, uh, which again may tie in with being made by God. Um, and he's, uh, Hebrews uh, 1 speaks about uh, what the angels and their purpose are. Are not all angels ministering spirits? sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. So these uh, angels are God's servant to serve us, God's elect. And um, uh, we also read that in Paul, uh, Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 6, 3. He writes rather surprisingly, do you not know that we ought to judge angels? <clears throat> So uh, sons of God could apply to either angels uh, or the chosen people or to any being that God has made. Um, of course, whenever we read this, the sons of God, you're probably thinking of the Genesis passage in Genesis 6-2, uh, where the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them that they chose. Um, yeah, there's great debate on who those sons of God ap applies to. Uh, most conservative scholars feel that it applies to uh, people this being the, the sons of Seth, the faithful followers, getting involved with the daughters of Cain, the unfaithful. But the truth is that either interpretation, whether you want to talk about that being fallen angels or this uh, sons of Seth would work, and it's kind of inconclusive what they're talking about. One, uh, one theory of interpretation is that the Genesis passage, if, if you take the fallen angels, uh, since we know that angels, we're told elsewhere, do not marry or have sexual relations, it's possible that the fallen angels or demons were possessing the unfaithful, and then they were in turn marrying a women, uh, which, you know, talk about a bad marriage. Um, but uh, that's a possible alternative as well. Uh, but anyway, returning to, uh, to Job, it seems very clear here that the sons of God are to be seen as angels. And one other aspect that's important for us to keep in mind about angels uh, that Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.13, it states that the plan of our salvation, even angels long to look into these things. Now, angels don't know everything. They are created beings and they have limits. Only God is unlimited and omniscient. Uh -huh. 
So one day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came with them. Well, we've met Job, we've met God, and now we, we meet the third character of these first opening chapters, the Satan. In the Hebrew, there is always a definitive article before Satan. So it's always the Satan. Um, Satan means adversary, so it's a the adversary. And at this point, it's more of a title than it is a particular name. And the Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? And Satan answered uh, the Lord from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. So first, let me ask you a question. Why does God ask Satan, where is he coming from if God knows all things? Uh, maybe he's looking to provoke a conversation with him. Okay. Yeah, well, well even, you know, Satan has to answer to God, right? So regardless of you know, where he's been, you know, and regardless of God knowing, you know, God asked, um, you know, Adam in the garden, you know, why he was hiding, right? Or, or he called called to him, where are you? You know, he knew where he was. He knew what had happened, but he still demanded an answer. Yes, good. There, yes. there is enormous, you know, theology about evil and sovereignty of God here. And it's Satan has to get an answer to God, but he also has to acknowledge what he has been doing. Uh, even Satan has to acknowledge the things he does uh, to God, even though God knows them. It will on the creature to acknowledge what they have done and what they are doing. Uh, the sovereignty of God here is uh, is so well defined in this in these verses that uh, you know He is in control of everything, uh, including what Satan can and can't do. Uh, he I'm probably jumping ahead, but he puts a hedge around uh, Job and he says, you know, do anything you want, but. Satan has to be allowed to do things. And secondly, God puts limits on what he can and cannot do. So God, even in the situation where evil is occurring and Satan is causing evil, God is limiting that evil. He gives the permission and then he limits what can be done. So, you know, the idea of the sovereignty of God and how much control he actually has is wonderfully described in these verses. Yeah, thank Pastor, you. I'm sorry, Pastor Bob. Yes. What challenges me is that Satan is even there in the first place in the assembly of the angels before the Lord. It challenges me that Satan, who is cast out of heaven, um, is even there or even allowed to be there. Um, so that's just a challenge to me. Is that he, but he is, like, like you said, the scripture says that he's there, so we know he's there. Um, well, but I've always yeah. been perplexed by that. Here's a question for a UN pastor. Is he still there? Because remember Jesus, when well, that's uh, another thing. Disciples came, the, the disciples came back from their preaching tour, he says, I have seen Satan thrown from heaven like a falling star. So, you know, is he still there? 
yeah. or he is just down to the earth now. So there's another question for you uh, to ponder. Right. We, we have we have lots of those type of questions uh, as we go through here. Um, but let, let me come back to the original question and um, uh, Peter and, and, and Steve and uh, we're answering. Um, yeah. Why does God ask questions in, in any circumstance throughout the scriptures? Why does God ask questions? Why does Jesus ask questions uh, if they're all knowing? Well, it's obviously it's not that they don't know the answer. All right. Uh, they are all knowing. Uh, God is all knowing. Uh, he's omniscient in the Old Testament. When Jesus asks questions, he knows the answer. It's not for them, but it's for those who are about them. All right. Remember, the angels don't know everything. All right. So by asking, he's really telling the audience where he has been. All right. And it's important because God is about to unravel this plan and everybody in the audience has to be in on all the information. Well, God is um, relational. You know, it's just like he wants us to pray, and yet he already knows what our heart's desires are. And if we have a heart of praise, he knows that. But he wants, he's just relational. You know, he's not just up there, you know. So I think any anybody who has any contact with him has a relationship with him. Yeah, but that would that would mean that God would still want to have a relationship with Satan in some capacity. Well, I think Anna is talking about uh, uh, us as as believers and as people. Um, you know, this is this a court in heaven seems at this point to be an assembly of a you know uh, uh, an accounting. Yeah, accountability. Uh, if you would. Of, uh, I'm sorry. No, I said accountability. God wanted accountability. Yes, accountability. Um, and so God asked the question, "Where has He been?" And remember. Uh, so he's in, kind of including everybody that is there now, all of these uh, sons of God. And he asked the question, just like Jesus asked the question. And Satan, the Satan, all right, uh, gives him the answer, uh, roaming to and fro. And this sounds very familiar to us, doesn't it? Um, we know that this is not a, uh, some commentators say this is, a, he's kind of a vagabond. He's just kind of roaming around. Um, I, I don't think it's that at all. All right. Uh, he's roaming to and fro, but it's not aimless. All right. We, we get that from First Peter 5, 8, right? Be alert and sober minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So this roaming to and fro, in my mind, is much more the hunter after the prey. All right. Um, that's what he's doing. What character traits come to mind when, when you think of the Satan or Satan? Um, I think it's exactly what you said in the verse. He's out to, to destroy. The, char the character traits would be destructive and um, obviously sinful. And it's interesting mm. that he said, um, when God said, had you considered my my servant Job, he says, well, obviously he had because he says, oh, but I can't do anything to him almost because you put the hedge of protection round about him. So he was roaming actively with this destructive intention of, of hurting Job. And he must have tried for him to know that there's a 
hedge of protection around Job. Okay, good. Very good, Rodder. Anyone else? What kind of characteristics do you think of when you think of Satan? I think for me, I think that Satan is the accuser of brethren. You know, like in the court of law, they have like plenty of defendants. So that is how I see um, the devil when it came to Job's case. Yes, very good. He's definitely the adversary. I think his goal is just to draw people away from God. And for those who okay. don't know him, just to keep keep it that way. And for those who do, like Job obviously knew God well. So it's, it's just that, you know, there's few people on God's side as possible. And those who are already there, he just wants to get them out. You know, just get them away from God. Have them become um, unbelievers again. Sure. I mean, we could think of the worst possible uh, traits uh, imaginable and apply them to uh, the Satan, and we would be correct, all right? John eight forty four talks about him as being a murderer, as a liar, as the father of lies. We know that he is crafty, that he's deceitful. We also know he's powerful and he's very proud. And whereas Christ's mission to earth was a, a, a search and rescue mission of redemption, if you would, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. The, the Satan is here to, to blind and to confuse and to tempt and to dissuade and to destroy and to kill in any attempt to thwart Christ's seeking, if that were possible. You know what's interesting, Pastor, is the uh, when God asks Satan the question, he asks him about his character. Have you, looked at, have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless and he's righteous. Satan immediately goes to all of Job's earthly possessions. And so Job, uh, Satan must have known a lot about Job because he says, oh, yeah, have you not protected his flock? Have you not given him all these things? Have you not done? He must have had some knowledge about Job. But God is boasting on on Job's character. And not all the, look at all the stuff I gave Job. Look at how, look at how I blessed him. So there's like Satan is disconnecting God's boasting on Job with Satan's possessions. And I thought that was interesting that he knew a lot about Job, so he must have been roaming around and knew Job for some reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. he's not ignorant, all right? He's he's looking, you know, and he, he, you know, like we've all seen those National Geographics, you know, when the, the lions were out the prowl, they're looking for that stray, you know, and the, away from the, the herd. Um, and so he does know about Job. But it's interesting, I, I, I kind of find it almost amusing that after, after this first contact, almost seems like maybe the Satan is going to, okay, I'm here, I, and now I'm going to move. I've answered your question. I'm going to move on. But then J- J- God stops him, <laughs> and he says, have you considered my servant Job? <laughs> it's like, you know, with friends like that, you know, it's like, uh, <laughs> uh, really, God? Um, there's no one like him on earth. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And this is important. This is God's testimony of Job. All right. This is not Job saying it. This is not his friends saying it. And this is important uh, for us to keep in mind throughout the whole book. All right. Uh, This is God's testimony of of Job. Uh, Job 
Go ahead, somebody. I, what always does interest me and sh shows up here is, is Satan's attacks. You know, he does it with Eve. He does it with he does it with throughout the scripture. He even does it with Jesus, either by word or by implication. It's the yeah, but mm. you know, yes, this is true, but yes, you know, to Eve, yes, it, but look at this, but you know that that constant. Yes, but bringing up something to try to question God, uh, to try to question God's motives, to try to question what God is doing. Uh, and this is a very, very common thread that, that Satan uses throughout Scripture to call, to ask the question, but what about this? But what about this? Have you thought about this? You know, and so I find that very, very interesting. And even here uh, in yeah, as I, as you said, the, the one of the if not the oldest one of the oldest books of the scripture that he's using it already. But but but. Yep, that's his tactic. That's his tactic. You're right, Pete. One of the interesting things I found here is that uh, God says there is no one on earth like him, which kind of makes me think. Just when when was this written? Um, was not Abraham around this time? All right, so I mean, uh, maybe this is actually before Abraham, or maybe Abraham has, has passed, and this is before Moses. Um, but it's an interesting comment, I thought, um, because if, if he was uh, living at the same time as Abraham, I would have a, a harder time understanding that there's no one on earth like him, because Abraham, obviously, uh, you know how important he is to uh, uh, God and the covenants. But anyway... Yeah, but Pastor Bob, it may not be God's testimony about Abraham that he shunned evil. I mean, it, that all this is true about Abraham. Abraham was a man of faith and righteousness and all that. But when you look at the story of his life, did he shun evil? Um, so I don't know. You know, I just want to throw that out there. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, Go ahead. That's fine. <laughs> I, I, we don't know. Uh, I just found it interesting that it was said that way. And uh, But uh, again, strangely, God calls attention to Job. And um, gives them these high marks. And then uh, Satan goes on and with his uh, basically uh, the first test. Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and his herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. As Peter had pointed out, uh, cynicism is the Satan's lifeblood. All right, cynicism means a distrust, dis distrusting, uh, disparaging, contempt, uh, calling into question, uh, um, attitude towards uh, people or, or statements. One author said cynicism is studied disbelief. And uh, again, as Peter had brought out, uh, Satan uses this in the garden uh, with, with Eve, right? Uh, Surely you will not die. All right, he's kind of calling, being cynical and calling, calling uh, the word of God into question. And, uh, uh, Satan knows that uh, Job's uh, godliness uh, has not been tested. Uh, he has been hedged in by God. 
And he says that that's the only reason Job is faithful. It's as if Satan was saying, uh, I could be as pious as Job if I was as prosperous as he was. All right, so he's really uh, being very cynical with God and uh, challenging uh, at this point. And this brings us kind of to the question I, I, I kind of posed last week and I wanted just to kind of think about a little bit um, because that's really where this is all going <clears throat> with Job. Uh, do we love God because of his earthly blessings, the good things in life, spouse, family, home, wealth, and health, or do we love him for who he is? In other words, do we love because of the gifts or the giver? And this is what Satan is going to question or is, is putting before God. And he's saying basically that Job uh, loves your gifts, but take those away and he will not love you. So the Satan challenges God. Stretch out your hand and strike everything, and he will curse you. Uh, and it, this is a very disrespectful challenge, obviously. Uh, in the Hebrew, also here, the use of the, of the words your and you in front of a king was very disrespectful. You would always address a king as my lord, all right? Um, it's not proper etiquette. And in the Hebrew, um, it sounds a little stronger and it might be uh, something, something like, uh, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be damned if he doesn't curse you to your face, uh, is what uh, Satan is saying. You know what it seems to also say, Pastor, is not let me take everything from him, but you take everything from him. Like, this isn't like, allow me to do this. This is like, you, st you take everything you gave him away. So this isn't giving Satan permission, it seems. This is like, you strike, you stretch out your hand, and you strike everything he has. So this goes more to God actually doing this than allowing Satan to do it. Is that incorrect? Well, yeah, well you're right in the sense that uh, it's a command to God. Stretch out your hand. All right, which again, goes back to being disrespectful. Um, and But as we'll, we'll see in a moment, Sal, I'll pick that up in a minute. Oh, okay. <clears throat> um, Satan knows nothing about the in, intris, intrinsic righteousness and, and that springs from a good heart of genuine love. He doesn't understand that somebody can love God because of his person. He can only, you know, he, he's, he thinks that you can only love somebody by what you get out of it. Now, of course, the Lord could have responded to Satan, well, you know, you're damned already, but to prove that you're wrong, <laughs> uh, go ahead, uh, touch him. And he grants him permission to touch him, everything he has, but not the man, which goes back now to Sal's uh, point, all right? Um, uh, God gives Satan permission to touch Job and all that he has. And, uh, but it's very important to understand that concept. Uh, God is the one who is still supreme and in authority. It's not Satan. There is no dualism going on here. There are no two equals that are going to wrestle over the prize of Job. You know, I don't get the idea that, you know, 
God is the cowboy in the white hat and Satan is the cowboy in the black hat and they're, they're meeting in the street at high noon. It's not like that at all. All right. Um, the Satan can do nothing without God's permission. And God creates that boundary. All right. Everything is ha he has is in your hands, but on the man, do not lay a finger. So you can see how causing something to happen and allowing it to happen could start to get confusing. Yes. Yeah, you could start talking about first cause and second causes, right, which gets very confusing. All right. Um, yes. Um, from what I read about God's will, his, his God's character and his nature is that he, he cannot be coerced or provoked or into doing something he doesn't want to do and everything that he does will be good because he is good. But my, my take on it is like, it almost seems like he was provoked into, into allowing Satan to test Job. So then what happened to Job? was outside of his will or inside of his will that it's kind of confusing for me to understand the will of God in, in, in all of this, because everything happens according to his will. So yes, he allowed it, but his will, he knows before time. So he, he knows he knew Satan was going to ask this before. Yes. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. There's nothing outside of God's will. If, it, if there was anything outside of God's will, even one small atom outside of God's will, he would not be almighty. <clears throat> All right. Um, but that, of course, you're right, Rod. It does raise a lot of uh, questions and a lot of points which we are not always privy to the answer. So we have to take the whole of Scripture when we look at Scripture and, and the will of God. Um, in, in this case, we see very plainly that, again, Satan uh, is limited, and he can only act by permission. Pastor Bob, I was going to say that um, with, with um, Satan, he didn't know or he doesn't know how people's relationship with God and how it is. For example, the children, um, the three Hebrew children, so people really love God because of whom they, whom God is to them or when they experience who God is as opposed to their wealth or whatever. Because even with Job, Job wasn't um, privy to Satan and God's conversation, but Job knows that or he knew that um, in spite of anything, he wouldn't still deny God. And that is all throughout the Old Testament. That is the example that we get from the three Hebrew children. They're like, even if you throw us, even if God doesn't save us from this fire, we'll still not bow down to the God. Even with Daniel, he will still say the same thing, even if God doesn't save us. So I think it's when people understand who God is for them, which Satan doesn't really understand that concept that people really understand who God is. He thinks that, People love God because of what God gives them as opposed to um, as opposed to their relationship with God. Yeah, yeah, you're, I think you're absolutely right. He, he, Satan does not understand 
uh, true love, devoted, uh, committed love. Um, he doesn't understand that, okay? Um, it's not any part of his nature. Who created Satan? He, uh, Satan was created as the, uh, as, as the highest uh, archangel, okay? Um, uh, who uh, one day, it just says one day evil was found in him and he rebelled. There you go. He keeps answering right. everything I'm asking. What was that? Right? No, I was saying, as I ask, think of questions and think of what you're saying, you seem to answer me right away. The same question. I was saying, who created him? I was thinking uh, when I when you were talking before that, um, you know, he definitely, we, we were giving the attributes. And one of them is such boldness. And, and I was going to ask you where the boldness comes from. And obviously, God, it only can come through God who allows him to be that bold, I would assume. Is that correct? God allows him, yes. God allows him. That's yes. important concept. What I want to drive home here is to make sure that we don't get tied up with this idea of a dualism. That no, right. They are, they are of equal strength. They are not. Satan, as an angel, yes. albeit a fallen angel, is a created being. He may give the archangel Michael a run for his money, as we read in Daniel. You know, I, I was delayed because I was, you know, involved in this spiritual war. But he, he can't do that to God. Um, so uh, <clears throat> everything uh, that Satan does uh, it has to be uh, by permission of God. Remember in Luke 21, 31, uh, when Jesus was speaking to Peter, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Right? Satan asked. He just couldn't put out his hand and do that. Right? He, he asked. Uh, Martin Luther used to say that uh, God has Satan on a leash. Uh, he, he could go so far, but no further. He could operate within a certain realm, but couldn't go beyond it without God's permission. And although he is strong, always remember, he is not as strong as God, nowhere near. Not as strong as Christ. Remember again, uh, Jesus in Luke 11, uh, 21, when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. And he was talking about uh, himself or God and the, the spirit coming in and uh, rescuing uh, people who were uh, in a captive uh, by Satan, uh, who is strong. And Jesus himself says it, all right, but not strong enough to defeat God and his purposes. Pastor Bob, real real quick on that passage about Peter, because it's one of my most encouraging passages in the whole Bible. He says to Peter, he goes, he's asked to, he's asked to have you, but I have prayed for you. I, when Jesus said that, I mean, it was like, wow. That was Satan asked, and Jesus said, not only said no, but he prayed to the Father, and he interceded for Peter. He says, I have prayed for you. That's pretty awesome. That's all I'm in. Yeah, it, it is. It's very awesome, John. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> Pastor? Yes. Someone? Pastor? Go ahead. It's, it's Tom. I, I think this book 
probably everyone in this room, certainly myself, has struggled with it, um, me for years. And I think one of the main points of it is more of God's determination of how much evil he wants in this world and what degree and how it's going to how it's going to be. I mean, at one time we talked, talked about this. It's hard to understand. It's hard to understand a place where there's no good. There's only good or only bad, though that's possible. It's described as heaven. I'm not sure as a human, I can understand that. But um, the position of Satan, especially in this book, it was suggested that he was provoked. I don't think he was provoked at all. I don't think God can be provoked. I think God knew exactly what kind of, what statement, what response Satan would have for him. And it, it often confuses me. It kind of draws a line between our dedication to God and where we stand in other, in other departments. In other words, we're probably, I would, I would say most Christians or most dedicated Christians would suffer and um, go through shame, but when it has nothing to do with that, as in Job's case, it gets a lot more difficult, at least it does for me. And I, I admittedly, I get angry. It's like, how much license are you going to give this guy? I mean, you said, watch your tone, but I've, I've said that to God. How much license are you going to give this guy? And uh, I think a lot of times, maybe it's just God wants to see how much we're willing to stand by him regardless I mean, do I have that in some kind of perspective, or am I totally off base with that? No, you're right. And and, and if you can, if you're able to hear, in many ways, you sound like Job. Okay, you know, Job gets angry. All right, <laughs> it's he starts off well here in, in the in first chapter. You know, naked I came into the world. You know, naked I'll go. You know, I'll give glory to God. You know that type of thing. But you know, after the second chapter, and when his friends arrive, we have like 36 chapters of him being agitated and questioning and throwing his hands up and, uh, you know, arguing with his friends that, you know, that for all the bad reasons they're giving him. And uh, so, you know, it's a very human book because we all wrestle through it. And, you know, uh, we have an advantage, obviously, because we're not going through it at the moment. Uh, Job is, and he, he doesn't have the advantage of reading these first couple of chapters as to why it was, it's happening to him. All right. He just has to live through it. But, it, you know, it also goes back to two things it goes back to. One, Job is becoming a test case. Not for God. He already knows his heart. All right. But for everybody else who is there, all these angels and sons of God. All right. Remember, they don't know anything about redemption. Angels cannot be redeemed. The fallen angels are, are lost forever. Um and so the, but the, the good angels, they still don't understand what redemption is going to be about. So this is basically a, a teaching exercise. And God has chosen Job to go through a very dreadful experience. But we also know the end, that he will be rewarded, you know, uh, twice as much in the end as he went through it. That's why I... I challenged myself and I posed the question to you last week. What would you do to glorify God? Or what would you allow God to do in your life to bring him glory? You know, we all say that, oh, I, you know, I want to live and glorify God. All right. Well, you know, would you want to be 
blind from birth and wait 30 years until Jesus walked through the town and brought healing to you, that God would be glorified. That man came down through the centuries because it's recorded in scripture. And every time we read it, we glorify God for his power. Job is included in scripture, but look well, what he went through. Go ahead. I think that the book of Job is describing more how much can God put you through and you won't give up on him as opposed, not as opposed to it. In, in addition to glorifying God, that's the way I see it. In other words, forgive my roughness, but how much can God kick your butt and you'll still stand by him? <laughs> that, that's kind of the way I see it. I mean, maybe, yeah, he's using Satan, but he's in control. And, okay, I'm going to stand up and, and do a lot of pretty rough things, but no, I'm not giving up. Pastor, you know, one of the things that, you know, Tom and I think everybody thinks, struggles with is why is there evil? What is the, what is the purpose of it? What is it? Uh, I think scripture gives a lot of answers, but one of the things that the book of Job um, sort of drives home is that sometimes we'll never know exactly why and the background for evil. Why does this happen? Why does this happen to me? Why does that happen to me? Why did this happen to him? Uh, why did the innocent suffer? Sometimes we will not know until we're explains it to us in heaven. And even then, I'm not sure that's going to happen. But whatever it is, that sometimes we can't know. We, as as rational beings, having gone through enlightenment, have this thing that we need to know everything we need to know the reason we need to know the purpose we need to know the cause and sometimes god says you know what i'm not telling you just trust me and that's i think one of the big things that has uh, struck me because job was a book that you know again i've gone through and we went through uh at otis a lot because it, it speaks to that where we can't understand why God is doing this. We can't understand why this is happening to believers. We can't understand why a good God allows such evil or, or such struggles and such problems. But sometimes there is a mystery. Sometimes there is that God, you know, like you don't deserve to know or you don't want you to know. Just trust. And I think that's one of the big, big things. How much can we take? But God says, it never gets beyond you. There's no temptation. There's no problem that you I will allow you to have that you cannot overcome within my power. So, you know, God is saying, trust me, I'll get you through this. Our, our thing is, well, should I trust him? And I think that is a very important message of Job and it's an important message of, of this whole process of what's, what is evil and why is there evil? Sometimes we know, sometimes, you know, a bad thing has helped us come out of certain situations, but other times it doesn't make any sense. And, but it makes sense to God. And that's what we have to understand. It makes sense to God. It may not make sense to us. Well, it makes sense to God. Right. The, uh, you know, we could be very well, thankful. Me, it's not so much a matter of trust. As much as tenacity. In other words... I live life with kind of a you glass mentality. In other words, God to me, Jesus Christ specifically, is the greatest representation of good that I know of. So 
regardless of what horrors that may come upon me, I still got to stand by that principle. It's almost like standing by the Constitution. It's the greatest, greatest representation of government that I know of. So I stand by it. Are there bad politicians? Yes, yeah, sure there are. Do God, does God do things that I can't understand? Yeah, he does, and they seem pretty horrible. But I still got to stand by what I believe is right and good. That's my motivation. Maybe it's not the best one. I mean, I'd like to be, I'd like to be one of those people who just runs around saying how much I love God and, you know, says all kinds of flowery things, but I'm just not that nature. Well, the thing is, I'm though, more uh, nasty, I guess, but uh, I don't think so, Tom. But, you know, you call it tenacity, but you're only tenacious because you're trusting. If you did not trust the Constitution, you would not be tenacious to defend it. All right. If you did not love God, you would not be tenacious in living out the salvation that he's called you to live out here. All right. So, you know, a little bit of maybe hair-splitting, but I think they're connected, you know, one and the other. Uh, you, Job is going to be determined uh, because he's devoted to God, even though he goes through it. So he's tenacious. But the, the reason why he is tenacious is because he trusts in God as a heavenly, heavenly father. And it also brings up the good point of the mystery of this all. You know, I'm glad that there's mystery with God. You know, I, you know if, God, if I knew everything about God, then he'd kind of be like us. And that would be even a scarier thing. So there are, there are mysteries and there is perspective. All right? God alone knows the end from the beginning. An eternity of it. It was interesting that... Uh, 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 Janice put on a, a, on Facebook the other day, it was a, this article about, I don't know if you saw it, about perspective. And it talked about if you were born in 19, the year 1900 and lived like to, to your 85, well, everything that you would have gone through, you know, you, you would have had the First World War. Uh, by the time you're 18, right after that, you had the Spanish flu, which killed like 50 million people. All right. After that, we ran into, uh, the, you know, the Great Depression. After that, it was World War II. After that, you would have lived uh, through the Korean War, you know, uh, and it just went on and on. So that by the time you're 85, you know, if your kids or your grandkids say, well, you don't understand the difficult times I've lived through. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how does anybody live through all of that chaos in their life and still come out? Because, you know, a lot, so that a lot of it has to do with perspective. God sees perspective eternally. We see perspective in a finite, limited way because we only have life here. And we have to trust in God and all that he says about life thereafter. So that's, uh, so, you know, so this begins to unfold here. And it uh, looks like we're going to have to stop here. But remember... God is not giving in to Satan here, all right? God is going to use Satan, all right, to bring forth his purpose, and his purpose always glorifies him. Now, we may not fully grasp that and understand it, all right, but as uh, we have to, again, take all of Scripture, and as we go through the rest of, of Job, Okay, um, hopefully some of that will come home to roost and we'll be able to better appreciate uh, what it means uh, when God uh, does these things. And, you know, the, the, 
the real uh, end result will leave us with questions unanswered. All right. Uh, it would be nice if the last page of Job told us all those, answered all those whys. All right. Um, but it doesn't. Pastor, it tells us something else. Pastor Bob, I had a question. Um, so I was just saying that if um, Jesus was there, Jesus had come during the time of Job, he would have been the one interceding for Job, saying that, you know, stepping into like, you know, advocate for Job. And, you know, telling God that, please, okay, make it milder. But because Jesus wasn't, hasn't, you know, been sent to earth to die for us, that is why Job probably had it worse than us right now. Because God, um, Jesus is um, there interceding, praying for us, asking, um, being our advocate, our great advocate. So I don't know if that is, um, that is. Yeah. Well, we could be thankful to God that Jesus stands as our advocate, uh, ever making intercession for us, right? Um, against our, our name. But if you look at Jesus' life here on earth, Satan was involved in that. All right. I mean, Satan took him out to the wilderness, tempted him. All right. Try to, try to, you know, derailed uh, God's plans. Satan used, uh, used uh, Judas to affect the plan. Okay. So Satan and suffering and pain, uh, you know, it, it's, it's part of, of this world and this life. But, it, you know, God even uses that to bring forth his purposes, as he did with Christ Jesus. All right. So uh, we have to stop here. All right. Um, good. I'm so glad to see you all here. Keep reading. All right. Uh, read uh, through to, uh, chapter two. All right. And, and then... Uh, We'll pick it up again next week where we left off here. And uh, um, hopefully uh, everybody has heard. And if these are recorded, and if you want to go and hear this or you missed it, um, you go to our website. And uh, uh, Steve and Amanda said that there's a, a tab there that you can hit, and uh, you'll find it there. So, all right, let me close in prayer. <clears throat> Father God, we come before you, Lord, and Lord, we are just so thankful that you are almighty and that you are in control. And Lord, we times like this that we begin to wrestle with these deep questions, we recognize our own limitations and our own finiteness. And Lord, that's when we, we need to, like Job, just fall down and worship you, knowing that you control all things and that we are the work of your hands and that you love us. And that nothing will happen to it. Not a, not a hair on our head will be injured without your permission. And Lord, we pray for your goodness and grace to us. And we pray, Lord, that you would protect us and provide for us. Thank you for this time together. We ask your blessings upon us as we prepare to go to service now. And we'll thank you for it all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all for being here.